Welcome to the Super Givers Podcast. I'm Jesse Johnson, and today's guest is Houston Kraft, co-creator of Character Strong, a program revolutionizing social-emotional development in our nation's youth. If you're at all interested in getting to the root of how to create a more connected, compassionate society, this interview is definitely for you. If you're shaken by the ongoing violence in U.S. schools and wondering how this might turn around, this interview is for you, too. Thanks for joining us. Houston Kraft, welcome to the Super Givers Podcast. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Jesse. Excited to be here, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you're doing in the world and, and who you are at this moment in time. <laughs> I love starting with uh, small questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, right out the gates. Yeah, what uh, I um, grew up in the Seattle, Washington area and um, at some point stumbled upon theater and student leadership, those are kind of two worlds that I became passionate about, and just even the idea of storytelling and, and helping people, I guess would be the simpler way to put those things. And um, went to college and had a, you know, a bit of a meandering path, but ended up, um, ended up working for an organization that went into schools and helped upperclassmen become role models for incoming freshman and uh, really enjoyed working with kids and really enjoyed speaking and activities and experiential learning and, and realizing that we all have lots to teach and learn from each other. And um, so right out of college, I started working in schools, uh, talking and putting together stories and workshops and trainings. And um, so for the past almost seven years now, um, I've worked with about 500 schools or events all across the country. Um, talking about compassion, empathy, leadership, uh, and connection and character. Um, so that's been a really fun ride. I've been all over North America, flown a lot of miles, been in a lot of hotels, worked with some really amazing educators, seen some really incredible schools. And um, I was just at a school recently that uh, at the, after I was done speaking, the guy came up and was like, hey, you know, this was great, but how do we keep it going kind of question, right? Which is always the sustainability of change question. And uh, the way he put it, I thought was beautiful. He said, you know, you've been to 500 schools. Do you, you, can, you, can you feel a good culture right when you walk in the door? And I was like, oh, absolutely. He goes, well, tell me about it. Like, where, where have you seen the fingerprints of kindness in buildings that you've worked in? And I thought that was just like a really lovely concept. And um, over the past year, I've had a chance to work alongside my buddy, John Norlin, who uh, was a teacher for 10 years. And now He's the program administrator for the whole child in a school district, which basically just means he's the director of character education. And um, we came together and we created this thing called Character Strong, which is sort of an answer to that question of like, how do we, how do we put you know, legs to or, or application to inspiration? You can have a kindness week or an assembly, but, but how do you actually explicitly teach the skills of being, being in relationships with yourself, with other people, being in community, being connected, being empathetic? Um, you know, there's so much data and we don't have to get too deep into it, but, you know, the anxiety levels are going up with young people and which means the empathy levels are going down. So how do we, uh, how do we get more intentional about teaching this stuff? Um, and so we came together and we created this thing called Character Strong, which is trainings for teachers and curriculums for schools that help teach the whole child through social emotional learning, character ed, and um, basically just effectively and thoughtfully teaching how to be a good person <laughs> in the world. Um, so that's where we're at right now. And uh, we just finished year one of Character Strong and we're in 250 schools across the country. And so we're cruising, man. There's obviously a need and we're trying to meet that need. 
Yeah, that's amazing. So what walk me through what a a day with Character Strong looks like when you come into a school. How do the who inter, who engages, who interacts, and what are they hopefully getting out of it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, part of the fun part of the job is that every day looks a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But I would say uh, a, a quote-unquote character strong school um, typically goes through more than just that day process, right? So uh, we have one and two day educator trainings where people will show up and it's two or one day of just intensive professional development that focuses on all the best strategies, all the quote-unquote fingerprints of kindness that we've seen in over 750 schools. Um, so you get a couple of key advocates in your building who really know their stuff and are really equipped and passionate to kind of be champions of the work. Um, and then if a school is really fully invested, um, they'll also typically have myself or one of our Character Strong presenters come into their school and do a full staff PD just to get everyone speaking a common language. Uh, usually on the same day, if I'm there, I'll do like a, an assembly so we get kids speaking the same language as well. Um, and then they will have an advisory program that teaches, uh, that basically is a weekly, most schools do a weekly where kids get together and 30 minute lessons uh, focused on different skills of social emotional learning or, um, and every, every lesson has like a character aspect to it, like a practical ch- character challenge. Uh, and then we also have a leadership curriculum where a smaller group of students would be going through a day-to-day, right, semester-long servant leadership-based class where they're being taught um, conflict resolution, active listening, uh, what it looks like to serve and to sacrifice, to be a giver in the world and um, help people. Um, so that's what, uh, you know, a full kind of character strong school would look like. So as an example, I just went to one on Friday down in uh, near Olympia, Washington, Tumwater Middle School. And it was pretty cool. I showed up and um, all the there's like 80 students wearing character strong ambassador shirts. And uh, I taught them how to be how to go in and teach one of the lessons. So the eighth graders are going into the classrooms and teaching seventh and sixth graders some of the lessons. And um, we have an advisor there who's been to one of our trainings, who's a real just, you know, I was talking to her and she was crying. She was like, I I went to school to be a language arts teacher, but I've realized this is what I actually want to teach. You know, I want to teach young people, not just young students. (laughs) Mm. And uh, so it was a pretty cool day for me to, to be a part of a school that's really invested and fully bought in and just changing the culture of their school from the inside out because of what they're teaching kids and uh, how often they're teaching kids, and they know why they're doing it. Wow. There's so much about this that resonates for me. I'm, I'm almost getting overwhelmed with what to ask you. Well, you're, you're speaking my language, and I love it, and I'm also not wanting to take that for granted. So I wonder if you can say a little bit more about where your curriculum comes from and, you know, it all sounds like an easy sell to me. And I will also, I'm sure that it came from a really intentional place. So maybe if you're willing to share a little bit about how you, you acquired the, the experience, the knowledge, the data to inform the curriculum and, and what, what's behind it. Yeah. Great question, man. It's, uh, well, first of all, a labor of love more than anything <laughs> born out of um, there's a couple of components to how both the leadership and the advisory curriculum came to be. I think this, the shorter story is the leadership curriculum was built over 10 years while John Norlin, my, my buddy and good friend and business partner, he, uh, he taught 
10 years and he was studied to be a social studies teacher, but his principal caught the vision early that, that the type of leadership he was teaching needed to be exposed to as many kids in his school as possible. So for 10 years, John was teaching um, 250 students a day a curriculum leadership class. So it's not your traditional activities, you know, putting on events or assemblies, but like actually how do you be a leader in the world? What does it look like? And, you know, and the best news being that any person can be a leader because leadership is just about relationships. So if you teach relationships effectively, then you can teach leadership effectively. So 10 years of teaching it, trial and error, um, created this curriculum. Um, and he had incredible results in his school, you know, from a simple metric of the school of 1400 people, there was, you know, 1200 people showing up to homecoming. He's getting like 84, 88% of his student body showing up to homecoming, which is kind of unheard of. And it wasn't because the music was better. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. just because kids felt connected to a, a culture where they felt cared for, right? Mm. Um, and that's because they were taught how to do it. Um, so that was kind of, that was built in the trenches uh, through fire and trial and error. And um, I've come in and added this, the pieces that I could to strengthen it from what I've seen from leadership programs all over the country. Um, so that one's really cool and exciting and has a lot of depth to it. Um, the advisory curriculum was born out of uh, John for many years was doing some of these trainings and a school was like, hey, we need we're doing this in our advisory program. We want every student at our school exposed to this content. Can you can you build something? And, you know, as as we do when we're passionate, we're like, yeah, sure. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, now we have to go and <laughs> do it. Um, and so over the past year, we came together and built 200 lessons, uh, grades six through 12, knowing that there's um, a lot of things at the primary, you know, elementary level. Mm -hmm. But at the secondary level, they kind of stop intentionally teaching character, which right. is like kind of where we need it more than ever. Right. Um, and so we wanted to fill that need. And uh, so we have six through 12 vertically aligned curriculum and um, it came from a lot of different hearts and minds. You know, a lot of it was born out of, um, again, lessons that John taught in the classroom, a lot of things that he's been exposed to through his role at the district. Um, we had the person he works right by at the district level uh, has her PhD and contributed some of the lessons on mindfulness. We had a, an IB theory of knowledge teacher help with lessons on civil discourse um, we brought in, we, you know, we just brought in a couple of folks who are really good at their jobs to write some key lessons around key topic areas. And then the rest of us went to work with our, you know, our experience to create, uh, the bulk of them. Um, and it was kind of a unique lens from the, the teacher perspective, the district perspective. Uh, we had other teachers from all over the country editing the lessons and then, um, I came at it from the perspective of, I've been in 500 schools and I've done workshops and lessons with a lot of kids. And so I've seen just at least techniques and activities that I know work firsthand when done with fidelity and when done with more importantly, enthusiasm. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's how it came to, came to be a, a labor of love, but also more importantly, you know, leveraging the relationships that we have with amazing educators to say, you want to be a part of this. And more or less, everyone was like, oh, of course. Yeah. Heck yeah. So we got some really cool people on board to help pull it together, and we're pretty proud, man. It was a, it was a lot of lot of work, but watching it come to life in schools, like even like Tumwater, just uh, just this last week was a is a is a privilege, and it feels like we're doing something something good in the world, which is always encouraging. So you said two hundred and fifty schools, correct? Mm-hmm. 
what's the barrier for entry and and is part of your mission at all involve um being able to serve across demographics and socioeconomic status and things like that yeah absolutely um we we're working with a full range of schools right now and you know anyone who wants the curriculum we're going to find a way to get it for them um so we've gone you know everything from helping be a part of a fundraising process to um helping find grants and um you know we have a couple of folks who are part of um research that we're doing to make sure that we we've figure out how to get this thing evidence-based, which is a big deal in education. Mm -hmm. So we're working with a guy named Dr. Clayton Cook out of University of Minnesota. <laughs> um, so we're, we're looking for schools right now who are um, who would be candidates for something like, even if there was a barrier for entry to something like this, to get them on board through a grant, a research grant, and and see what it looks like to you know work in schools across all demographics. So yeah, that is definitely part of the mission. And as we grow in year one and just being humbled by the interest um, there should be nothing stopping us from getting into any school that wants it. Wow, that's amazing. I'm trusting that we'll come back around to this current stuff. Uh, I'm really curious about a lot of it. I wonder if you're willing to dive into you for a second. Um, who taught you about character and kindness as a kid? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I, I think, uh, well, first of all, just lucky. And, and I, as I work in schools in the, all different kinds of areas and places in the country, continually reminded that I, I'm, I'm lucky to have parents that just that lived it in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one of our core beliefs at Character Strong is that people want to be good. They just don't always know what good looks like. And, uh, and so the idea that we're able to provide students with tangible practice is a big deal to us because we know many people don't go home and have an example of respect or kindness or forgiveness or any of those things. Um, so, you know, step A is having a, a family that lives it and teaches it and believes in it and shows you what it looks like is huge. Um, I feel lucky I have, you know, I just had a couple of key friends growing up. The one that I always think back to is my best friend, one of my best friends growing up, Michael. Um, Michael and John are brothers and Michael is the older brother, about four years older. And he was just always one of those kids that was popular for all the like good reasons. You know, he just knew people's names and he was charming and friendly and kind and generous and and anytime I would you know be quote unquote out of line or even swear he would like hold me down and tickle me till I wet myself you know just like good accountability of a, a quote you know, just an older brother type who is really um kind which was huge for me you know just a a lighthouse kind of person and a, um and, a, and I would say to a male role model yep being critical. yeah yeah Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Someone who, yeah, literally was like taller, good looking, better looking than I could ever hope to be just like walked around and didn't use any of his natural gifts to like leverage himself for anything but other people's game. Mm. And just that as a role model has always been someone I just continue to look up to. He still does amazing work in the world. Doc, you should have him on your podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, <laughs> uh, so he's an amazing guy. And then, um, my my leadership teacher in high school encouraged me to join student leadership, Mr. Ivelia. Um, and then I joined student leadership and went to a camp up in Washington called Mount Adams. It's one of um, one of a, like five high school leadership camps that Washington hosts. And again, just luck of the draw that Washington State has an incredible leadership program. Um, 
that supports teaching this kind of stuff. So I went there and uh, saw a guy on stage named John Norlin <laughs> who uh, spoke and kind of changed my paradigm about leadership and life that life was about serving people and helping people and more or less sitting in that audience I knew like this is what I wanted you know I wanted to go out in the world and serve people make them feel loved to any capacity I could um and then towards the end of college I got introduced to a guy named Tyler Derman who um has been speaking for 25 years incredibly gifted storyteller but more important than that he's just like one of the most authentic generous kind thoughtful dudes um, it's become a great friend and huge support in my life. Um, so the, you know, there's just like most people who I think end up in my shoes. I think we always got to give ourselves credit to saying yes, or being open to people speaking into your life. But, um, I was just freaking lucky to have people that did speak a lot of love and truth and goodness into my life. And glad I listened a couple of times along the way. So that's, I think, in terms of just the you know the lens of kindness I look through has really been built by a ton of key role models, everyone from family to peers to people who are way ahead of me in their careers um, to now coworkers um, in my friend John. So got the whole range, man. Hmm. Um, very lucky to be supported. I love the line, um, "Leverage my privilege." It's a that's a really poignant statement. <laughs> yeah and yeah it, i think it's just being conscious right that we're all yeah given something i've been given a ton um and the just the number of kids that aren't given the opportunity to be supported in kindness is it's devastating you know it's like that's why we're that's why we're doing the work we're doing right so how do you gain trust and rapport and credibility coming from, you know here you come in you're young white male. Um, there, <laughs> yeah. mu there must be demographics, you know, from the educators on down to the kids who you've got to work a little harder to earn credibility with because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't grow up with as much privilege or they, they're, they're coming in with a lot of, um, anger, frustration, doubt, mistrust of the world. How, what do you see with that and how do you work with it? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, as, I don't know, cliche as it sounds, I feel like there, there's something to be said always about authenticity, um, which is not to say that I'm always really good at it. I just like, I do my, my best with it. And when you show up and you speak humbly, you know, it, it should always, this kind of thing should always be a conversation and never a presentation. Um, that I'm not trying to tell you that this is the thing or you have to do this, this, and this. It's just when I speak, um, you know, Tyler, my mentor, gave me some brilliant advice early on. He said, never be the hero of your own story. And uh, he said, no one's really interested in that <laughs> because it, because there are so many things, especially in my position of privilege, where, you know, my my heroism uh, is, is almost like a, a gimme. Like, I get, I get so many things naturally in my life that um, other people have to work 10 times harder for. So for me, the, the lens that I speak about through is always, how do I speak about this humbly and how do I speak about this through the struggle that I am in? So the vast majority of stories I tell are about me not living the way that I want to live, but reflecting on why I think it's still important. And, you know, moments where I've had 
success and moments where I've had failure and everything in between. And that this whole thing is just a process. So, um, the credibility comes, I think a, if you can, um, if you can show up humbly and authentically <laughs> B, if you can tell a story that is, um, that speaks to a universal truth, because it doesn't matter the details of the story that as long as the, the truth of the story intersects with other people's lives, then it doesn't matter what the, you know, fill in the blanks are. Um, and the last one is just like the, the credibility of experience, which I think is a piece of it that there's been lots of times where I feel like maybe I was in an audience I wasn't ready for. But at this point, I feel like I have the credibility to say, no, I've seen this in so many places work in so many ways. Um, and uh, that I guess I would never say it like that so much as I just know how to adjust in different circumstances because I've now lived those different circumstances as a speaker, as a presenter. Um, so that was, I guess, more like the pr professional side of it or the, the, uh, the, the skills side of it, but like walking into a building that I know is going to be more challenging or, or I know looks or feels different than me just requires me to show up and adapt, right? There's like, there's no other way around it besides like you adapt to the people you're talking to and you spend a lot of time listening and you spend a lot of time, um, coming at the subject matter humbly. And, and most importantly, if you can get people laughing, it's a universal buy-in. So, um, I never make jokes about things or people. I just, I talk about the weird stuff that we all deal with in life. And usually, usually that gets at least a part of the audience on board. And if I can get a critical mass, then <laughs> we're cruising. <laughs> totally. Well, you mentioned being in the process of acquiring empirical data about the outcomes. Um, Everybody, yeah. you know, the education system loves evidence-based practices. What have you heard so far in terms of anecdotal feedback from educators and or students? What are, what's like your favorite success story so far? Um, yeah, there's a, a couple, couple really powerful ones, man. I, I would say that the, just the other day down in Tumwater and, and watching my friend Sarah kind of cry, cry through her passion of this stuff. It was a, a really humbling experience, but uh, we have a couple of schools right now that are taking it to the next level. Um, Enterprise Middle School down in the, the Tri-Cities area, um, they were featured on the news a couple of times because it's just like the level of buy-in they've created. And, um, you know, one of the simplest things that we talk about, but it's always cool to see it come to life is getting people standing at the doors when people show up to school each morning. And usually we encourage staff to, to stand at the doors of their room because there's actually research-backed data behind it. There's 20% more active engagement in the class if your teacher's standing outside greeting you when you walk in. Mm. Um, and so the same has to be true at a school-wide level. Um, so Enterprise Middle School, you can walk in there and kids are holding the doors open for other kids. You can't even walk through any door without having the door hold open for you. My old high school, Snohomish. They used that as an example. You know, my teacher, Mr. Ivelia, said we had this kid who was a new kid, transferred schools, and he goes, Mr. Ivelia, I've been here for six months and I haven't held the door open for myself yet, <laughs> which is just cool evidence that people are, you know, people are more conscious of opportunities to serve, even in small ways. Um, Harlingen Middle School down in Texas is, or high school, excuse me, down in Texas is, um, again, doing incredible things, providing these opportunities to practice dares daily. You know, I, I, I talk about a friend of mine who used to write a postcard every single day uh, to his two daughters. And he passed away a few years ago, but for eight years, he wrote a postcard every single day. 
to his two daughters. And uh, a kid took that as part of a challenge and wrote a, a postcard to his grandfather who, who died just a few days later unexpectedly. Mm. And they wrote me an email being like, thank you so much for putting that opportunity in front of me because it's the last time I got, you know, I got to speak honestly to my grandpa about how he, much he meant to me. You know, John, when he was teaching the character dares, he had a, a girl who wrote a letter of forgiveness to her alcoholic father and um, she got a letter back from her alcoholic father and it was like a just beautiful, powerful letter, you know, so you just hear lots of anecdotal things about people that are being exposed to this. We call it the question that's not getting asked, which is what are you, what are you doing for others today? which our culture doesn't ask young people. <laughs> our mm-hmm. culture asks them what your GPA is, what your reputation is, how many followers you have, you know, what college are you going to, how much money are you going to make? So culture asks kids all the time, what about you? And we're saying, well, what about other people? Because <laughs> we need them and we need to know how to be good among them. And uh, I think the more you expose kids to that question daily, implicitly or explicitly, the more you get kids who are going to take you up on the offer and, uh, and do things you know, the example I always give is if you don't have a food drive at school, how many kids go and donate to the food bank? And the, the, the truth behind that to me is this, is that like the more opportunities you provide to practice good to kids, the more likely they are to take them. So what if you, in some way, daily provided ways to practice kindness, forgiveness, humility, respect, patience, all the things that we know are good and important, but we keep as abstract ideals until we need them, you know, until we need to react with them as opposed to being proactive with them. So, um, I don't know, man, there's, there's lots of cool stories that have come out of it more than anything. It's kids just realizing that relationships matter in their life and there's ways to, to be more influential and thoughtful and powerful and intentional in them. Love it. All right. So have you seen, or is there a hope to see an impact in the communities from, from the school culture developing this way, Mm. the individuals developing this way? Yeah. Um, Inglewood middle school in, uh, in Sammamish, Washington, they uh, they started doing the leadership curriculum, and they kind of the way they described it is that they removed the artificial cap on the leadership program, like I talked about John doing. So instead of just having thirty student council kids or kids putting on activities at your school, Sally Rusk there, the teacher, again teaches over two hundred kids a day a curriculum leadership class, and uh, they went. I think they had a 90-something percent drop in um, in in-school suspensions over the course of the year. But more importantly, the principal said he went from two to three phone calls a day from parents to two to three a year (laughs) because of the the intentional outreach and the intentionality of community building that the kids were doing. You know, it just changed the the game from a community perspective. Um, La Crosse, Wisconsin is a unique area. They have a, a, a college that has a servant leadership master's degree, very kind of specific degree, but 80% of the local business owners have a degree of some kind in leadership. And uh, they took a like kind of the inverse. They said, you know, our kids are coming out of school, not prepared for the realities of the modern work world. You know, like we don't need your GPA. We need you to have good communication. We need you to have good conflict resolution. We need more leadership skills. We need more listening. We need discipline and resiliency in the face of failure. Like we need all these quote unquote soft skills that are now hard skills in the world. And schools aren't teaching them as effectively because we're just, you know, the paradigms have changed faster than the system has. 
Um, so all that to say, these business owners in La Crosse, Wisconsin said, we need to teach kids character and, and we're going to make it happen. And so they've gone through a process of raising $600,000 from across the local business owners to support character education across their district and many other districts nearby. So Character Strong is working with um, something like 29 school districts there um, as part of this much bigger project that they have of infusing character education across their community. So um, both from a school to community and then a community to a school perspective, um, yeah, that change is possible and important. You know, I think any business owner would want a kid who not only maybe got good grades in math and science, but also knows how to communicate more thoughtfully and um, resolve conflict when they need to. And you know, grit, grit, the high, highest indicator of success over GPA, IQ, and SAT. And how do you cultivate grit? Well, you, you have kids intentionally and with discipline practicing moral character in the world. And that the byproduct of that intentional practice of moral character is definitely performance character, right? Which is perseverance, resilience, you know, failing among people will build something in you different than failing on a test. <laughs> Okay, so where do you struggle the most in walking the talk of character? Hmm. Well, you got to go here, Jesse. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think the, the biggest challenge is that, um, you know, we, we talk about relationships being our focus, but uh, re- relationships in my life have struggled as a result of my pursuit of this thing, which I think is maybe a, a, a pretty common truth, but uh, nonetheless true for me. I, I read an article recently I thought was poignant, and it was talking about the four burners theory. And the four burners in our life are family, friends, health, and work. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at it through the lens of work, and they said, if you want to be successful in work, you have to turn off one of the four, or one of the other three besides work. Right. And if you want to be really successful in work, then you have to turn off two. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I think about that a lot as I try to reconcile, man, over the past couple of years, as I've gone down this road, you know, what relationships have I not taken as much care of? And I I could give you a list, uh, but needless to say, I've had a couple moments where I felt lonely, lonely um, because I've, I've been around people for weeks and weeks, but none of them in sort of any sort of deep relationships that's showing up doing my work, moving on, showing up to another place, doing my work, presenting, giving speeches, talking to kids for, you know, quick bursts of energy. And then I go somewhere new and just the the recognition over the past year in particular of like, man, I'm, why am I so exhausted? And why do I feel lonely? And it's like, well, because I'm, I'm widely connected, but not deeply, which as I look into our culture and as I've been reflecting on it over the past couple of months is I think, that's where a lot of people are living, right? Where mm-hmm. we, we try to send ourselves so wide because we have the capacity, we have the, the ability to do it more than ever with social media and with just the way that most millennials are working now. Um, but like making sure that we maintain deep relationships, um, making sure we know how to build community and, and stay with community and be intentional with those communities is, you know, that, that has fallen off the map for me for a while. So that's, that's where I feel unaligned often is uh, in in all the busyness of talking about the problem of being busy, I've done some some of the things that I've advised not to. I guess it was on 
Kelby, who is um, one of my partners, a kid who saw me speak when he was in high school, and now we work together full time. I think he was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast. And the quote that he shared with me recently that I really liked, he said, wise people take their own advice. (laughs) Mm. So I'm still working on being wise, I guess is the theme. And I really appreciate your authenticity. Um, (laughs) Just to, just to point that out from before and also your honesty. And the reason why I have to go there um, is because all of this just sounds so awesome and put together and fantastic. (laughs) And I'm noticing as you share this part of you, I feel that much more drawn in and I can relax more and I can, I can sort of connect with you more. Yeah. So I hope that comes through that. um, I think for a lot of people trying to make change in the world, especially, uh, especially in this era, this last few years, this year and, and forthcoming, I know I've talked to a lot of people who can get so easily discouraged and overwhelmed and, can buy into the idea that they're really insignificant. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, what I've learned in developmental psychology, the, the very first need that a, a child has or a new family member has is to feel some level of significance and belonging. And so, so I appreciate your humanity in this because I want for me and for my listeners to be able to say, hey, I don't have to be perfect to make an impact. Even even the great Houston Kraft, who has all this great stuff mm-hmm. happening, is is working on himself and and struggling with his own mission. <laughs> if that's fair, yeah. if that's fair to say, yeah. It, oh man, yeah. My own significance is a is a really good way to put it. Hmm. Is you know what does it mean to be significant and how do you define that and you know get a lot of people uh, helping you understand that you know your your definition of significance or success sort of just kind of handed to you by whatever the culture is telling you, whatever your parents are telling you. And, um, you know, I think it's fascinating that uh, we were just recently sort of talking to a, a guy named Dr. Richard Weisbord out of, out of Harvard, who's helping run the Making Caring Common project. Um, and he has this really fascinating research uh, around parents. And if you ask parents what they want their kids to be, you know, high performers or caring kind people, the vast majority say they want them to be kind and caring people over high performing. And then you ask the kids of those parents the same question, what do you think your parents want of you? And they, by and large, say, oh, definitely, they want us to be high performing over kind and caring. Amazing, yeah. And that that disparity is um, is where I think is, I don't know, maybe a symptom of a lot of the issues in the world, which is our significance comes from achievement. Mm-hmm. And if our significance comes from achievement, then there's lots of moments where we can achieve at the price of other people. <laughs> um, and so when, we, when we're convinced to go down that road, you know, it's just easy to lose touch with because we do so desperately more than anything want to feel significant. You go down that road and, uh, you know, most of the hurt that we're causing is totally unintentional, but nonetheless real. Mm. Um, so, yeah, significance is a... Is a a fascinating conversation, man. And, and I think that you're hundred percent right to say that. Um, I just, a month ago, I got my first tattoo. It says B is greater than do. Hmm. And, uh, it's not because I live that it's because I need to be reminded of it. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? Well, and coming back to your burner, your burner metaphor, I, I wonder if this, if this time period demands more from all burners than some of the past 
in terms of significance. Mm. Um, you know, like I think maybe you and I are part of a generation or generations that have been encouraged to be really entitled in, in the sense that it's great to go after your dreams and mm. you should find significance in work and you should have this incredible fairy tale relationship says every romantic comedy made in the 80s 90s and, and you know <laughs> okay, yeah so, so like the pressure to have like epic mm. epic life experience is at every turn we're supposed to have amazing purpose in our work we're supposed to have amazing relationships we're supposed to have perfect kids that get in you know that achieve yeah. at the highest level uh and, <laughs> and then we're supposed to have friends and how is that all possible right and so, dude, we gotta we gotta fit CrossFit in there somewhere for yoga <laughs> or something. Right, and then we have to take care of our bodies amidst all the heaping loads of processed foods and and marketing. Of, yeah, you know, figure crap. out how to be vegan as well. Yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah. yeah so I, the bar is high. Yeah, you're hundred percent right that the the burners are operating on a different <laughs> level than before as well. Maybe. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, I I wonder if you could speak to your experience as an educator and facilitator based on all your experience what's one thing that you would want every parent to internalize or learn about themselves to to yeah to work with their kids more effectively yeah that's a that's a great question um with parents specifically i I mean i would a little bit lean back on what the dr weisbord's research of is what we're saying and what we believe in alignment, (laughs) which is a question for all of us, but particularly with parents is like, if we truly believe that we want our kids to be kind, I think the question is always like, again, how are we implicitly and explicitly asking that of our kids? You know, what is, are we always asking them how was school today? Or are we sometimes asking them, what did you do for others today? Are we always asking them what their grades are like? Or are we sometimes asking them, what does kindness look like to you? Um, and uh, unless we're being thoughtful on how we're asking both of those things, then I think sometimes we're unintentionally missing the boat. You know, my parents are amazing, wonderful people and have been, you know, huge supports for me from the time I was a little kid. They've always believed in me and supported me and, you know, given me every opportunity to succeed. Um, and I think they also celebrated performance and achievement and unintentionally made me feel like, well, that's what, that's what it means to succeed, right? Like that's what it means to be loved. Um, and, and I guess perhaps more than ever because of maybe in some ways of that, those burners on steroids right now, um, I think we have to be more thoughtful than ever on how we communicate with kids around what's really important, you know, what really matters in this family, what really matters in our school, what really matters in your life? Is it the college you go to or is it how you treat people? And do our actions align with that belief? Yeah. And if if not, how do we reconcile it? Hmm. Yep. I love that. Is the choose love movement specifically mm-hmm. something you want to talk about? Is that is it different? Uh yeah. Well the choose love movement was just is just born out of um the work that I've done in schools for many years and the, the main message that I've been talking about, which, you know, when I first got started, my mentor Tyler said that a great speech is like holding up a gemstone to the audience and slowly turning it so that they can see every facet of that truth. And um, so when I very first started, you know, when I was like 21 years old, I, I uh, 
the truth I came up with at the time is fear is a feeling, love is a choice. Like that is, that is the thing that I wanted to communicate to young people that even though we feel afraid or uncomfortable or scared, we still have the capacity to choose to love people anyways. Um, and so everything that I've done more or less points back to that general theme that our capacity for compassion only grows when we choose it, when we don't feel like it, <laughs> you know, when we don't feel like being kind, when we don't feel like forgiving, that's when we get better, which isn't to say that we're always going to, we're always going to do it. We're always going to choose it. But I think it is in those moments where we're intentionally practiced when it doesn't feel so good. Like that's when our, you know, Tyler says, a commitment to growth is a commitment to pain, which I've always liked. And it always is a frustrating reminder that that's like a true thing in life, that the only time we get better at stuff is when something's hard or uncomfortable or painful. And there, and love is no exception. So um, the Choose Love movement was just the idea of, I think kids are always, again, looking for significance or something to get behind. So the idea that people could be a part of this thing, this idea um, of a world that was more thoughtfully loving with each other. Um, that's where it came from. And so we got kids all over the, the country and all over the world, really, who, um, who are a part of that conversation um, in one way or another. Some of these kids, you know, they just heard me speak and they just kind of follow me passively. And then I have kids who I've worked with each summer, more or less. I've, I've brought kids together to be a part of a, a it's I guess you could call it an internship program, but it's more just bringing kids together to talk about what kids need and, and how the world can be served by young people. And so we have kids all over the, the country and world who are helping run projects that continue to promote love in the world. The simplest example is a thing called Compliment Creations on Instagram, just at Compliment Creations. And every single day, a group of kids, I'm, I'm totally hands off on it, a group of kids um, put together a compliment prompt and post it. So A, to encourage positivity on social media and B, again, to encourage people to practice kindness that if, um, if you provide the opportunity, they're more likely to take it. So every day we're putting prompts to spread kindness through compliments with people. Uh, and that's all student driven. And that's kind of what the Choose Love Movement's all about is how do we continue to help people choose love in the world? Awesome. Well, yeah, let's leave it with um, if there's if there's one thing you could, yeah, one hope for young people listening, hmm. um, one encouragement, one final thought, what would it be? Um, one hope, yeah. I guess the the one hope, the, the one hope is just to to look for hope and to create to be generators of hope in the world. Um. And I'll come back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is just like the, the world looks and feels messy right now. And I think more than ever, we are exposed to that information and that stress and that anxiety. And uh, the world has a real good tendency to, to beat you down. And I think the only way we continue to combat it and find not temporary, frustrating, fleeting significance, but permanent significance in our life is to figure out how we can best serve other people. And, um, and so I guess the, my encouragement would be to look around the world and just ask, honestly, how can I help? You know, how can I, how can I help my peers? How can I help my teachers? How can I help my community? 
and uh, find one way and get really freaking good at it and uh, do it do it over and over again until you feel like you've done all you can. Houston, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, it was really awesome of you to share in depth about yourself and, and I thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. To learn more about Houston Craft and the Character Strong movement, check out characterstrong.com. My question of the day is this. If you're an adult in position of influencing a young person, how well are you modeling the qualities you'd most like them to inherit? How can you be even better tomorrow? To find out more about the world of Supergivers, head over to supergivers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, click on the podcast link and send in an application. If you'd like to practice giving towards this show, please tell someone you know to listen in or consider subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and maybe even subscribing to the Supergivers podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, and I hope you'll pass the giving along.